Good morning, everybody. Let's celebrate being at church together today. Man, what a gift to be together this Memorial Day weekend. If you're with us online, we're so glad that you're, you're with us today. Maybe you're sitting somewhere camping in Alaska or wherever you're at. Make sure you type in the chat where you're watching from here today. You guys, it's a, it's a big week. We are starting into a brand new series called Counterculture. It's going to be 16 weeks. This is one of the biggest series we've ever done, walking through the entire book of Mark, one chapter, a week, right? And so you might think that's a really long series. It's actually very short. There's so much we're going to miss. So I, I really want to encourage you to be reading along with us, studying along uh, with us in this journey, and just kind of stay up to date so you always know like what week we're on because 16 weeks, 16 chapters, we're going to do this together. Also, today is Baptism Day. We're really excited about that. Uh, we do that once a month. We fill up the tank and we give you an opportunity to get baptized. So what, what better day than today to go public with your faith and just to to take this opportunity uh, to take your next step. If you've never been baptized, we have everything you need to get baptized today. If you're with us online and you've never been baptized, get in your car and drive over here. We'll baptize you at the end of the service. But we have t-shirts, shorts, everything you could possibly need, hair dryers in the bathrooms. Uh, Really, we've covered everything. And so if God is speaking to your heart at any point during the service, I want to encourage you to go out to the baptism uh, table in the lobby. And there's people there that will help you kind of get everything you need to get ready to get baptized. That's going to happen at the end of our service during the last couple of songs. And so uh, just encourage you, you can stand up at any point and go check in for that. And if you don't know really what baptism is, I, I kind of equate it to this. It's kind of like a wedding ring. Um, if you're married, you, you, you probably have a wedding ring. One of our band members just got married this weekend, and he was showing off his, his wedding ring. And, and the wedding ring simply is a representation of this lifelong connection that you have with your spouse. And one thing that I know my wife wants me to do is to wear my wedding ring, right? You know, like I know everybody's got different opinions, but I've, I've got some friends who are like, yeah, I don't really wear my ring. And I'm like, I don't think I can get away with that. Uh, I got to wear my wedding ring. And uh, because I think if, if I didn't want to wear it, and I just was like, I don't think it's a big deal. At some point, my wife would rightfully say, why don't you want people to know, right? Like, like what's, what's the deal? Why, why don't you want people to know? And, and I think the same is true with baptism, right? Where it, it's a public declaration of an inner change. And at some point, if you don't want to go public with your faith, if you just want this kind of quiet, private faith, I think God's like, why don't you want people to know? Like, what is it that's keeping you from taking that next step? And so baptism, as you go in the water, it represents your old life. This death to this old life. And as you come up out of the water, it's you aligning with the resurrection of Jesus saying, that old me is dead, the new me has come. I'm alive in Christ Jesus. And so that's really all it is. We're not going to embarrass you or make you give a speech. Don't worry. Um, But if today's your day, I encourage you to do that. Also, just kind of with that whole wedding ring uh, thing, we just celebrated 20 years of marriage this last week. Really excited about that. So... um, with my wonderful bride, she's behind the camera right here, so I'm going to 
just give you some trouble, follow along. So if you're online, my wife's right behind you. Um, so thanks for 20 years, my dear. Uh, we actually planned a little trip. We went, went down to Whittier, and we've been doing these little cabin trips for our anniversary. Uh, Alaska has these state-use cabins. And so I asked Amanda, I'm like, do you want to go do something a little schwankier this year for 20 years? She's like, nah, we're Alaskan. Let's, let's go to a cabin. And so my plan has been to bring my little boat down to Whittier, and we're going we're gonna to set out, and we're going to try to go about 10 miles up the coast to this cabin. And if you, if, you, if you saw my boat, you'd be worried for our lives, okay? So just a little bitty piece of metal with a little 25-horse mercury on the back, and we're going to go out of Whittier, which it's big water if you've been out of Whittier. And so I've been a little nervous about it, and I was talking with some friends, and uh, they were like, hey, be careful, right? Because uh, you don't want to drown your wife on your anniversary. But um, as you head out, there's going to be waves that are coming in in the inlet. And as those waves are hitting you, you're going to want to kind of hit them at a crossway and different directions. But, but I want you to resist that. I want you to go directly into the waves because the boat is going to cut through the waves. You'll be able to make your way up the inlet. And so it was an interesting thing as I was thinking about this week and and being a counterculture, the reality is, is this. There's all kinds of waves and current coming against us today. And if you're a Christian, if you're trying to follow Jesus, there is a lot of opposition. We live in a whole world of opposition against the ways of Christ. And, and following Jesus is going to, it's going to be like pushing up against the waves. And what you need to know is the, the safest and best way to come up against what we're experiencing in the culture is to hit the waves head on. Like we've really got to, as a church, we've got to, we've got to stop trying to go kind of crossways against and, and absorbing parts of the world around us and say, man, we're going to hit the culture head on and come up against some of the things that we know don't li- lead to life and flourishing for people. And so we've got, we got to be aware of that. So throughout the book of, of, uh, of Mark, we're going to really be looking at what Jesus does from the view of a counterculture. Jesus shows up to establish this countercultural way of living. And if you don't know what a counterculture is. Here's a definition. A counterculture is a culture whose values and norms of behavior differ substantially from those of mainstream society, sometimes diametrically opposed to mainstream cultural mores. A countercultural movement expresses the ethos and aspirations of a specific population during a well-defined era. When oppositional forces reach critical mass, countercultures can trigger dramatic cultural changes. If you were part of our last series, we put this graphic up that was, was all about making an impact on Alaska and how if, if we begin to live as kingdom movers, we live in God's kingdom, and, and if we begin to live that way, it's going to start to change our schools, our businesses, it's going to affect uh, the, the homeless issue in Anchorage, and it's going to affect uh, all, of our, all of society in every single way. Like It's going to affect our state just simply because we are living as Christ in our culture. And see, what a lot of people do, they end up uh, focusing all their energy on the issues, and yet they don't uh, get transformed by Jesus and by the gospel. And so those issues, we're just dealing with the surface instead of dealing with our hearts. And what happens is when we begin to live and experience God's kingdom, we change to the point that it, it can make dramatic cultural changes on a society. I mean, if you look at what Christ did, when Jesus showed up, he actually instituted a lot of major cultural changes, but he did it from the grassroots. He did it through relationships and through the way that he lived and impacted their society. Now, a counterculture is different than a subculture. And you need to know the difference. A subculture is just a a variant of what's going on culturally. 
And what I think has happened in a lot of churches today is that churches are not countercultures, they're just sort of subcultures. Like we're just sort of a slight variant to what's happening in the world around us. And so when people show up to church or they experience Christianity, uh, especially I think in America today, they're kind of like, what's the difference, right? How is this any different than what I've experienced at work every day or at school every day? So, so there's nothing compelling about it, but when the church becomes a counterculture, there's going to be something that's going to compel people to ask questions. and There's going to be something that compels people to, to try to seek some answers, and that's what we want to do. Romans 12.2 challenges this. I love the message translation of this text. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And so there's maturity and there's immaturity. Maturity is moving towards God's design for you as a human being. That's maturity. Moving towards God's original design for you. Immaturity is moving away from it. And what you have to know is that the cultural norms are moving you not towards God's design for humanity, but away from it. And anytime people move away from God's design for humanity, we move into hurt and hopelessness and pain. That's just how it is. And so if you're wondering, like, why does God have so many rules? You know, why are there rules in the Bible? And, and again, it's not about those rules, but those rules are all intended to lead to flourishing, to lead you to the way that God designed humanity. Like, God is a loving Father, and any loving Father is going to lead you toward what's going uh, to be healthy and hopeful for you. I just was thinking about the different countercultures that I've seen over the years. When I was in high school, there were some people known as the straight edgers. You guys remember straight edge? Straight edgers are the people who would walk around, they have a little X on their hand. I remember going up to my buddy, I'm like, hey man, what's up with that X? And he's like, I'm a straight edge. And I was like, well, what's that mean? He goes, you know, everybody's like, you know, doing, drinking a lot and, and partying on the weekends, doing a lot of drugs. They're like, we're living clean. We're living straight edge, you know? So they were living as a counterculture in our school, right? You know, I just think back to like the 50s. The 50s was this kind of anti-conservative movement, right? Right? You got guys like this guy doing crazy stuff with his hips, right? And people were freaking out. And, but it was, it was an anti-conservative movement. They were trying to come up against what society was doing. I think of uh, the hippie cultures, right? Right? Which, I don't know, I'm, I'm like, you're kind of choosing one bad thing for another, I guess. Uh, <laughs> drop acid, not bombs. I don't know. Like, maybe, maybe neither. But, you know, that was a resistance to, to, to war and violence. You've got uh, the punk movement of, like, the 80s, right? Um, that's, some, that's some hair, y'all. That's some good-looking hair. Uh, you've got the, the 90s hip-hop movement, right? And everything, yeah, we got some hip-hop lovers in the room. Every one of these, these countercultures, they were, they were resisting something of society that they didn't like or didn't believe in. And, and what you need to understand about this kingdom culture that God is, is calling us into is that a kingdom culture is a counterculture. If, if we want to be a kingdom movement in our state and in our schools, in our homes, uh, in our culture, it's going to come up against the way... Uh, the world is going currently. And so if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to the book of Mark, chapter 1. We're going to start right at the beginning, as, as one does, and uh, encourage you to download the ACF Church app. If you don't have that, the text will be on there as well. But the book of Mark is the shortest and most succinct of the Gospels. Um, what you're going to notice in the book of Mark is that Mark really focuses a lot on the actions and deeds of Jesus, not so much on what he said, 
but a lot on what he did. And this is going to be really good for us, I think, today, because we can focus a lot on the words, the words of Jesus and the words that we say, and not, I think, enough on what we actually do. And a kingdom movement isn't going to be simply of words, it's going to be of action. That's what we're going to, and so you're going to see this in Jesus' life. He wasn't simply a man of words, he was a man of action. And he did the things that he, that he said. And it written by uh, a man named John Mark, somebody who would, who would have been like a co-worker with, with Paul. And so he's written down these accounts that he's heard of Jesus, and this is where we start. Mac, Mark chapter 1, verse 1 is where we begin. You guys ready? Ready for this? You awake? Okay, here we go. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is interesting. This one little sentence is kind of the only opinion piece that we have in the, in the entire book of Mark. Is Mark is giving you a little bit of an overview of where he's going with the rest of this, this, whole, this whole book. And so uh, it says, the beginning. And, and these words are chose very intentionally. Mark is showing you not just the beginning of this, this book or this account of the life of Christ... But he, he uses the word beginning, I think, to show us that this is like a new beginning. Uh, this isn't just the beginning of, of a book, but the story of Jesus is a whole new beginning for the world, friends. And if you don't know the story or the, the big outline of the Bible, you could split it up into three different parts. You could split it into the beginning, right? Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Everything was, was perfect and as it should be. God in right relationship with man, man in right relationship with God, and it was, it was, it was great. So that's, the, that's kind of the first act. The second act of uh, the whole story is sin entering the world. It would be called the fall. So there's the beginning, then there's the fall. Now, that relationship with God is fractured. Our relationship with one another has turmoil and pain. We have a lack of peace. So there's the fall, and then what you could call, when Jesus shows up to the world, you could call this, this act new creation, Right? So you've got the beginning, the fall, and then you've got new creation. Jesus shows up as the second Adam, he's called. Like, like he's beginning a whole new humanity. And this whole new way of seeing the world, this whole new way of living, Mark says, hey, this is not just the beginning of a, of a book. This is the beginning of something brand new for the world. And then he says the gospel. We talked about this a few weeks ago. That the, this, this Greek word is the word euangelion. And, and the word gospel simply means, anybody know? good news. That's right. The gospel means good news. And that's all it is. It's good news. And, and it's not just good news that Jesus saved you from your sin, although that's part of it. Um, we live in a hyper-individualistic society where we focus mostly on that Jesus came to save me from my sin, right? But Jesus didn't just come to save you. He came to save the world, friends. Like, and, and this isn't simply a, a takeover of my life. This is a global takeover. And so the good news is simply like, hey, the king has come and the war is won. That's the good news. Jesus, the king, has come to establish his kingdom here on earth. And it says the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. It's funny, a lot of people think Christ is Jesus' last name. Like if I'm looking in the phone book, you know. Nobody has phone books anymore. But we used to have these books, kids. They're yellow, they were thick, they had all your friends' phone numbers in them. And you'd look it up by last name. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ just refers to this uh, prophetic thing that had been happening and for the Jews that there would be this Messiah that would come, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. So that's simply what it means, Jesus, the Savior of the world. And it says, the Son of God. When Mark calls Jesus the Son of God, this, for the readers of, uh, of his day, would have been extremely challenging and offensive for many of them. 
I mean, that, that, that Jesus was the Son of God. And the reason that this would have been so offensive is that they lived in a day where Caesar was the man in charge. Caesar was actually the one that people saw as God. And that, that Caesar was God in the, in the flesh. People would even say this, like, Caesar is Lord. And then Jesus shows up and people start saying, Jesus is Lord, right? And so, so Mark says, Jesus was the Son of God. And people immediately would have thought of the different references of Son of God in their culture and how none of them had anything to do with Jesus, but everything to do with Caesar. In fact, um, you can look at this coin. We'll put this up on the screen. Uh, here's a picture uh, of Caesar. And inscripted on their money, on their coin, was simply this, Caesar, the Son of God. That's what this says. So, so I want you to think about that, the, the impact of this. Like Jesus shows up. Mark's telling the story of Jesus. And, and what he starts doing is he's, he's speaking in a way that's really going to, it's going to impact their, the, the society. It's, it's got like a political undertone to it, um, which again, people fight a lot about this. Like, like, should Christians be political or should they not be political? What, what you need to know is that if Christians live as a kingdom movement, we will impact politics all day long. Like, 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 we will make a big impact. And so just by being like Jesus, you will affect the politics of your day. And so Mark's like, hey, Caesar's not the son of God. Jesus is. Jesus is the son of God. And this, again, what, what would have been so challenging is that people put their hope in Caesar. Like, Caesar would have been the one that they, they believed in. And, and in fact, the gospel that they believed, the good news that they believed is, in, was that in Caesar would take care of them. Caesar would build up their society. And so Jesus shows up, you need to see this, that Jesus came to give people a new gospel. And so that's what we show up to do today, friends, is that like, we, have, we have a society full of people that they believe in a gospel. If you're here today and, and you're, you're not a Christian, you'd say, man, I, I'm not sure I'm ready to, to, to say I follow Jesus. Or maybe you're an all-out atheist. What you need to know is that you believe a gospel. Everybody in the world believes a gospel. You go to something to give you hope. You go to something that you hope will, will fix the world, will fix your life, will make you feel fulfilled. Jesus showed up to say, I am the gospel. I am the good news. And so this is, this is an invitation for us to give people a new gospel, something that will actually fulfill them. I want you to think about all the different issues that people fight about. All the different things today that, that really what's causing so much tension is that everybody disagrees about what's going to give hope to humanity, right? Right? I want you to think about all the different issues. Like there's, there's abortion, there's poverty, there's sexual immorality, there's same-sex marriage, gender confusion, immigration, racism. Like think of every issue in the world today. They are all the world's attempt to find peace. And the answer to every one of these issues is Jesus. Jesus really is. And that, so some of you are like, that's oversimplified. And what you need to see is that like we're not against trying to make a difference in society. Like, I'm all for doing that, and we, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Like, like, we need to make a difference if we can, and we need to seek justice in society. Like, we have a God of justice, so we're looking for justice. But at the same time, listen, you can win the political battle, and you can lose the spiritual battle if you don't make disciples. Like, like we want to make disciples and lead people to Jesus. And, and you can change society. You can change the laws. You can change the president. I don't know who you put your hope in or what your gospel is, but you can, you can get everything you want in society and miss the true hope of Jesus. And so we want to ultimately be leading people to the true hope of Jesus. And I know for some of you who love to be really angry and just like rage against the machine of culture, that like that's frustrating for you. But understand like the way that Jesus came and made societal changes was so different than many of us in the way that we do it today. 
Like, he didn't just show up screaming at society, yelling at people, you know? Like, he wasn't just sort of like a, like a keyboard social justice warrior, right? Just kind of posting things anonymously online. Jesus shows up and embodies the kingdom of God, and it completely transforms society. And in just a few generations, like, this, this Roman society that was all about Caesar being Lord became a Christian society, which is just, that's a whole nother conversation, but it, it's wild how much it transformed because of who Jesus was. Let's skip ahead to verse 9. It says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Amen. So this is the baptism of Jesus. It's a beautiful moment. It's a, it's a Trinitarian moment. If you read the text, you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all together in one moment. Jesus gets baptized. We say this a lot. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you, right? Like if Jesus got baptized, we should get baptized. And you think about it, like for Jesus, he wasn't symbolizing a rinsing off of his sin, right? Like, like, like we, we, we have sin in our lives, and as we go up under the water, it's that death of our old lives, and it's that death of our sinful nature, and us coming up out of the water, and that's that resurrection to this new life. For Jesus, he wasn't, he wasn't needing to be clean. He was already clean. He was sinless in every single way. But what he was doing is giving a vision for what would come, right? His own burial and resurrection, and also a vision for what would come for anyone who would follow him. And so what you need to know about baptism is that baptism drags the hope of the future into our present reality. That's what he's doing. He's dragging the hope of the future into our present reality. And that's what we do every time we get baptized. Because not only do we, do, do we show that, hey, I've been made clean in Christ in this moment, we also look forward to the day that, that we actually have a bodily resurrection. And that we move from this life into the next and we live forever with God. And so it's, it's literally dragging the future of what's to come into this very moment. And it's what's so powerful about baptism every single time. I can, I can barely keep the tears back most times, most baptism weeks. Because it's just like, wow, think of the image that we're seeing right now. And it just gives me hope for myself for what's to come in my life. So Jesus gets baptized and I love that the Father speaks to the Son in this moment. And I think what he's doing is he's speaking to Jesus in, in the way that we all need to receive his, his love. And he's saying, hey, I'm pleased with you. And what you need to understand is that at this point in Jesus' life, he hadn't even begun his, his, his real public ministry at this point. Like, like he, was, he was a rabbi, he'd learned a lot, but he's kind of a normal dude. And he gets baptized and the father looks at the son and says, hey, I'm so pleased with you because you're my son. And what somebody here today needs to hear is that, man, if you're, if you're his son or his daughter, he is pleased with you because you are his son and you are his daughter. Like, like you need to receive that today. And, and I love, like, what, what, if, what if the church, what if people woke up every day before you put your feet on the carpet and you just knew that God was pleased with you? What, what if you just, like, woke up every day and you knew, I, didn't ha I, don't have to, I don't have to do anything. Like, I can struggle with this sin. I don't want to. I want freedom from it. But if I continue to struggle, God is pleased with me. I, I want to achieve this big thing in my life. I want to go after this dream, but if I don't do it, God is pleased with me. And, and, and then what we can do is we can move from the approval of God, not for the approval of God, right? We can live from that approval, and I think that changes everything about the way that we live. You see, Jesus received affirmation before action, and I think we need to receive that as well. And, and maybe today you're trying to kind of get your life together to follow Jesus. No, he says, hey, just, just join the family. Receive my love. 
I affirm you as my son or my daughter today, not based on what you do, but based on what I've already, already done. Amen. And this is the invitation for, for everyone. It goes forward in Mark 1.14. It says, after John was put in prison, John's the one that baptized Jesus. It says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And here it is. This is so key that you know these words. This is the good news. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Once again, when you hear what Jesus calls the good news, it's it's so much bigger than what we've made it into, right? Like He didn't say, hey, uh, the time has come, he said, uh, you just got saved from your sins. No, he's like, this, this is a new king, a new kingdom. The whole world is going to change because Jesus just showed up. He says, repent, change the way you think about your life. Change the way you see your existence and believe this good news. It's here. I love that he says the time has come. In other words, like you don't have to wait for hope. Hope has come. You don't have to put it off until the day that you achieve or overcome. Like, it's Jesus. Jesus is the hope that you need. It's already here right before you if you'd receive it. It goes forward in verse 21. It says, they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them. This is so important. He taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Have you ever heard somebody teach from a place of not much authority? Like, like, and maybe that's me today. Maybe because you don't know who I am. I always assume, I always assume in this room that uh, there's no reason you should actually listen to me. I come up here knowing that I'm starting at the base level, right? Because unless you know who I am, like, why would you give me authority? Like, I can stand on my position. Well, I'm Pastor Brian. You should listen to me. But most of you are going to be like, yeah, I don't care what you have to say, right? Because it comes down to who the person is and where their authority comes from, right? And the thing is, I think for a lot of the religious leaders of Jesus' day, here's, here's what happened. Most of them spoke from authority, but not with authority. Don't miss this. Like, they spoke from authority like, hey, I have a position, and I'm reading the sacred texts. And I'm referring to all of these things that the rabbis before me had said. So they spoke often from authority, but they didn't speak with authority. Jesus shows up and he speaks with authority, right? He challenges the way that they saw the law. He said things like, hey, you heard it said, but now I say. And, and what, they, what they called him out on is they're like, Jesus, it sounds like you think you have a greater authority than Moses. And Jesus is like, you're starting to pick it up. Amen. You're starting to get it, right? And the thing is this, like, we now today, as, as followers of Jesus, we have God living in us. And, and we have this, we have the authority of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so your words carry weight, friends. Like, you have that authority. It's not just me. It's, just, it's not just me. Like, you have the same authority I do. If you speak not just from authority, but with the authority that's inside of you. And so Jesus, and they, their minds are blown because they're like, hey, we're used to religious leaders getting up and, you know, telling us all of these different things that we should do. Um, you know, as, as, as Jesus says, uh, tying up heavy burdens on people, but not yet being willing to lift a finger themselves. They're like, this is the kind of religious leader we're used to, not the servant-hearted Jesus who speaks with authority, then goes and heals, Right? I mean, Jesus, he, he, he actually did the things that he spoke about. I mean, mind blown, right? I, I just, I, it sounds kind of dumb, but I got to say it. Like, the world will be amazed when Christians do the things they talk about, right? Like, the w- world's mind will be blown when Christians are like, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm not just going to speak about loving people. I'm actually going to go and love them. 
I'm not just going to speak about forgiveness and say, Jesus says, I'm actually going to forgive people, like, wholeheartedly let things go, right? I, I'm going to actually build relationships like Christ did. I'm going to care for people. I'm going to pray for healing and, and, and believe in the power of God to heal. I'm going to do all of these things that, that we believe in. We say we believe in, but I think so many times we just go, well, the Bible says. When, when you're basing it on, well, the Bible says, you're speaking from authority. That's not bad, but you also need to be speaking with authority and say, like, hey, the Bible says, but I'm going to show. I'm not just going to speak on what the Bible says. I'm going to show you what this looks like in my life. See, the truth is this. I think anyone can call people out, but it's character that changes culture. Anybody can get, anybody can get in screaming online, and anybody can write an angry blog or, you know, uh, you, you know film a, uh, something on, on YouTube screaming about some kind of issue. Like, anybody can scream about an issue, but it's character that changes a culture, and that's what Jesus showed up with, was the character that aligned with what he was speaking. And I think, I, think, I think the world's hungry for this, friends. I think they really are. And I think, like last week at Impact, was anybody here for that? I forgot to talk about that. Last week was a big deal, right? Yeah, praise God for that. It's huge. We saw one of our biggest impacts yet. We changed more oil than we've, we've ever changed before uh, for people. We did so many projects. We had over 15 churches locally. Also, I heard there was one that kind of sparked down in Homer where five churches got together and did their own version of it. I mean, this is around the state. People are getting excited. And what I hear around the water coolers the week after impact every single year is that people tell stories, right? And, and their friends at work are like, man, did you see these people out in our community? What are they talking about? They're like, hey, that actually looked like what I have in my mind that Jesus would look like. Like, it seems like the church was actually living the things of Christ and people are minds are blown, right? And, and every year after impact, people ask me the same thing. Why don't we do this all the time? Why can't, why, why can't we do this every week? And my answer is always this. You can. You can. Like, if you wonder why do we do these big events, we say this a lot. We model corporately what we hope you will do individually. We simply model these things corporately. We serve our city in some big ways that are visible so that you will catch a vision for the kingdom moving through you, and you just go do it. You don't need my permission. You don't need our church staff's permission. Just go do what God is calling you to do. And, and I just, I trust that he's laying those things on your heart. But listen, I think people are hungry for that. That's what shows character. It goes on in verse 40. I'll close with this. There's this man that shows up to Jesus, and he's sick, and he needs help. And maybe this is you today. Maybe you showed up to church today, and you're like, I don't know about all this kingdom movement stuff. I just need some help. I need some healing. It says this, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. That's, that's a level of desperation. He's on his knees before Jesus. Just imagine this moment. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He says, if you're willing. In other words, he comes to Jesus asking to be cleansed, and yet he's not so sure that Jesus is willing. It's interesting that this man, when he shows up to Jesus, isn't so concerned about his ability to heal him and to cleanse him. And maybe this is you today. You're like, no, I think that Jesus has power. I believe that, that, that he has the power to heal. I believe in the power of the, of the cross. And I believe in Jesus. I, I'm just not so sure that he's willing to heal me. I'm not so sure he's willing to cleanse me. And that was this man's situation. He's like, man, I, I know you can do this, but I don't know if you're willing. And He's got leprosy, which would have been horrific. I, I can't even imagine this skin disease that would have affected him. And, and leprosy in the Bible, it, it's, it's a physical ailment, but it also has deep spiritual implications. 
It represented a lot of things. First, leprosy was something that wasn't just skin deep. It went beneath the skin. And the same is true of our sin, right? Sin isn't something that we just do on the outside. It affects us on the inside. Do you know this? You know that when you live in sin, it, it affects your soul? That, that you're, you can't just do something with your body or think something in your mind and have it not affect your soul? It, it's never simply external. It always goes deep. Leprosy also isolated people. You would have to walk through the streets and you would literally have to scream, unclean! Can you imagine? In all reality, apart from Jesus, this is what we all should do. None of us would want to do that, but that's who we are. Is that without Christ, we, we are simply unclean. Unworthy of being in the presence of God. The other thing that leprosy does is it spreads. It spreads. That's why they had to have isolation from other people because they knew they could catch this. And sin is like that. Sin spreads not simply through your own life, but into the lives of others. And, and it's what has... Uh, brought our society to where it is. It's why we're so broken is because sin spreads. Well, Jesus responds to this man, and I believe he's responding to you in this way. It says that Jesus was indignant, which uh, it, if, you, if you hear that word, you might think it means that he was mad. He wasn't mad. This means that he was moved with compassion. Jesus was indignant, moved with compassion. He says, it says he reached out his hand and he touched the man. This is crazy. I mean, the people in the room, the people around that, that would have seen Jesus touching this man would have been overwhelmed. Like, you can't touch a leper, but man, this, is a, this new kingdom is so different from the kingdom that they believed in, right? They believed in the kingdom where when you touch the sick, you got sick. But in God's kingdom, when you touch the sick, they get healed, right? And they get clean. So Jesus touches the sick man, and it says, I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Could it be that simple? It is. It is. Uh, listen, an authentic heart of somebody simply coming before Jesus and going, uh, it's even enough to say, I don't know if you're willing, but I want it. That's enough of a prayer for God to answer. And if that's you today, I just want you to know Jesus is ready to touch you and to heal you and to make you clean. And it really can be that simple. It's hard but it's very simple. It goes on, it says, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. This is important. He tells this man, see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Think about this. This man's healed. His life is changed forever. Imagine. Never. This man may have never been touched by another human being before. And his life has changed. And it, I mean, it's hard to keep that quiet, right? And, and Jesus is like, hey, shh, shh, shh. It's not my time yet to be crucified. I've got some ministry left to do. Like, Jesus has got a timeline in his mind. He's like, hey, don't be telling everybody yet. Like, that time's coming, but it's not right now. And the man, he tells the world, right? He tells the world. And I was just so convicted by this because, like, Jesus tells this man, hey, don't tell anyone, and he tells everyone. Yet he tells us to tell everyone, and many of us don't tell anyone. And we keep it to ourselves. Can you imagine 
if you guys, all of us, were so excited about what God has done in our hearts that I had to be like, hey, would you guys stop it a little bit? Like, there are too many people coming to church that we can't fit everybody in the baptismal. baptismal. We, can't, we can't get it done. We, we, we don't have enough systems to disciple all of these people. Like, we don't, would you slow down on sharing the gospel a little bit? Can you imagine? I would love to preach that sermon. I would love to preach that sermon. Like, slow down. We got to build some buildings. We got we to figure out some stuff. We got to hire some people, train up some new pastors. We got to get some stuff done because we can't slow down the kingdom movement that's happening in our city. That's not just a pipe dream, friends. That's what God's inviting us into. And that's what God wants for us. Like, he wants that in our city. Do you believe that? Let's be honest. Most of us don't. Most of us can't. We can't even imagine that. But I just I w- I want to tell you that this has happened and I believe is happening. There is a spark of revival that's happening right now, not just in our city, but I think across the world. That, that God is really raising up people. Who, who actually believe God changes lives. Who actually believe that the movement of the kingdom is unstoppable. Like God is raising people up. Where's your faith? Do you have the faith to speak up? Do you, have, do you believe that God will heal that person? Maybe it's not you here who is like, I don't know if he's willing to heal me. Maybe, maybe you're going, I don't know if he's willing to heal them. The Democrats. The Republicans. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll upset everybody. I, I, don't care. I don't know who it is. I don't know who it is. But maybe it's not that, you're, that it's about you. Maybe it's about them. And maybe that's why you don't share the gospel. Because you're like, I don't think he's willing. Can I, just, can I just tell you this? If he's willing to heal you, he's willing to heal them. Yeah, come on. And you've got to start with yourself and believe that. And so I have a few just questions for us. First, is our church today operating as a counterculture? Are we living in such a way that people notice the kingdom of God in our lives? Are we so similar that we're just a subculture of what's happening? Which if, if we're going to be a subculture, let's just close the doors and let's go, let's go four-wheeling or hiking today. Like, let's go do something else. Like, there's no reason to do that. We don't need another version of what's happening out there. But if we're going to be a counterculture, we have, we have work to do. We have a calling. How about this? Are we speaking from authority or with authority? Are you always going, well, the Bible tells you you should do this. Oh, man, I can't stand what's going on in society in this way. Oh, that's just so terrible. The Bible says it's wrong, but, but yet you in your own life are not reflecting a different lifestyle. Do you simply speak from authority? Do you speak with authority where people go, man, I see, I see a different way. I see a vision for the kingdom in your life. And this is so important. What can we do when we're frustrated with the culture around us? I, I would guess that every single person in the room at some point has looked at society and been, I am very frustrated with where things are moving. What do we do? I just want to give you one thing. I believe that we need to assume a posture of discipleship, not defensiveness. Yeah. Discipleship is so important. It's a word we use that simply means to apprentice people, to teach them. And, and what you need to know is this. This is why we're so big on discipleship as a church, is that uh, if we don't disciple people, the culture will. And you're being discipled all day long through the things you watch, the things you listen to, and through the people in your, in, in your life. And so the church needs to be a people of, of apprenticeship. Like, we can scream, hey, that's wrong. We need to take back our schools. We need to take back our country. Or you can live as a disciple maker and actually change society based on the way that you live. That's what Jesus did. Yeah. That's what he did. He literally made massive impacts by who he 
was. And you can expect opposition. John 3.19 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Expect opposition. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We're here to be light to the world, friends. And man, people are ready for it. Like, I, I think they want it. I think they desire it. Even if they disagree with it, they desire something real and they can respect it. Like, I would love that if our church is like, man, we're living in such a different way that our people around us are like, I don't, I don't agree with it. I hate it. I, we're on different sides of this thing, but I respect you because at least you're living what you're saying. At least you are what you say. You're not just speaking from authority, but with authority. And I just think about how Jesus changed the culture. Jesus confronted the culture not simply by raging against it, but by sacrificing for it. And I think that's the invitation for us today. And that's the good news, is that Jesus didn't show up and just, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and tell the world how they're wrong. He said, I'm going to come and give myself for the world. And so what you need to know is that if we're going to see the kind of kingdom movement where I've got to get up here and say, hey, can you slow it down a little bit? It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you money, time, effort, energy. You're going to have to take some time away from your Christian friends and spend, them, spend some time with people who don't love Jesus. You're going to have to be in some relationships with people who are, who are difficult, right? You're going to have to actually lean in, and you're going to have to have some hope that God can save them like he saved you. It's going to take some work. But this is the invitation for the church today. I, w- I want to give us some ways to move forward. If you want to grab your action card on your seat, maybe your first step is just to say, I want to I commit my life to Jesus. And if that's you today, I want you to just receive that as a free gift. You have to do nothing. Again, God just wants to look at you and go, hey, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. If you would just receive the invitation to be his son or daughter. So maybe that's you today. You need to take that step. I want to encourage you. Check that box if you would. Uh, we want to be praying for you. Maybe this is you today. You want to, you want to think critically about your culture. H- have you seen how you've been discipled lately? Uh, listen, guys, like Netflix is discipling people, Right? everybody's discipling, the radio's discipling, and this is, this is how we parent our kids too, right? Like I was in my daughter's room the other day, she's got like pop radio playing, and I'm typical dad, I'm like, hey, do you know what she just said? And she's like, no, I only listen to the music, dad, right? It's like, that's what I used to say, I know this trick, you know all the words, right? And so I'm asking, I'm like, what does it actually mean to be bootylicious? Like, what does this mean? So we, this is an important question. And she's like, did it say that? Yes, it said that, what, what does this mean? And so Maybe you need to start to think critically about your culture. Like, if we put your Netflix history on the screen, would you be embarrassed by that? And if you're like, yeah, that'd be awkward. We've got it, actually. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> AI has got all of your information. No. Um, awkward laughter. Be real about it. Be honest. Be honest about how you're being discipled. Like, think critically about it. Um, maybe it's this. I want to inspire people to follow Jesus. Maybe this is you. You've speaking from authority, but not with authority. And today, you need to... You need to start to inspire people by your life. And maybe this is you. Uh, maybe you've never read the whole book of Mark. And I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands if you've never read the book of Mark. But I, I want to encourage you to stick with us the next 16 weeks. And you can do this, friends. Don't be, don't be embarrassed. But you can do this. 16 weeks, you read the whole book of Mark, the story of Jesus. And before I pray, I just want to let you know, hey, uh, if you need to get baptized, if today's your day, we'd love Uh, the honor of baptizing you. And uh, as we stand, you can just walk out to the lobby and check in. So would you stand up? I want to pray for us. Father, thank you. 
for this moment we have together. Thank you that you look upon us with love and compassion in your heart. God, we all stand together equally undeserving of your grace. And Father, you know the things that we only know in secret. And I just, man, I just think about that, God, how you just, you know everything about me and yet you still love me. I can't believe that. And yet you do. So God, I pray that, I pray we'd receive that in a deeper way today. I pray we'd see a gospel that's bigger than ourselves. It's not simply about saving me or my family. It's not a gospel of isolation. It's a global movement and a global invitation, God. So I pray that we would be the ones who go and speak the good news. Your word says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. May we be those people who bring the good news to the world, God. And God, we want to pray over baptism today that today could be a day someone puts the ring on and says, I'm not ashamed of the God who is not ashamed of me. We love you, Father. Thank you for loving us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.